All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Going Live with Good Soil, episode number 74. Myself and Matt Smith, uh, we've been doing this for, I think, 74 weeks in a row now. Maybe we missed one week. I can't remember, but we've been doing it for quite a while. And uh, it's pretty, it's been a nice uh, weekly check-in with uh, the markets. And we do now, we've been, for the last 30 or so weeks, we've been doing it live on our YouTube channel and on Spaces. Previously, it was just our YouTube live channel. So we're broadcasting this live both on Spaces and the Good Soil Investment YouTube channel. And so um, the disclaimer on our YouTube channel shows that none of this is investment advice. And we just want to remind people on Spaces that, you know, we're not registered advisors, uh, at this time, especially, and this is just our own opinions and not investment advice. So Matt, how's it going? Uh, how's, how's the week going? How's, how's things starting? You want to kick us off a little? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we're stable to slightly up on Tesla, which is, you know, uh, relatively good news over the past like 74 weeks that we've been doing this. It seems like the, the vast majority have been down rather than up. So, uh, yeah. yeah, relatively speaking, I think doing well, but, um, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride this year for sure. Yeah, yeah, and we usually kick things off talking about the macro markets and such, and so I guess that drive that's been driving the Tesla stock price in the overall markets for the last year year or so in particular, um, and it's mostly downwards for the growth tech stocks, obviously, including Tesla. So that's why we've seen a lot of down weeks, and so we we are sort of forced to try to become very astute on what's going on in the macro markets in this last year, especially. And so we we always kick things off now talking about that first. And I don't know that includes geopolitical events as well as the Fed, especially. And we'll talk about these things. So the big event, the big thing everyone's been talking about is the China protests from the COVID shutdowns in China. I mean, there's tons of uh, video footage cropping up and. Uh, of protests and you know i'm trying to get a feel for is it just like you know uh, a couple of isolated incidents you know at the foxconn factory for i for apple and a couple of places in shanghai or whatever or is this spread out across like the entire country all the metropolitan areas in the country and and of china and it's sort of like literally hundreds of thousands or millions of people protesting and is it becoming bigger quickly or not and it's hard to tell so i i I don't really know. I've talked to a few people that seem to have sources and, um, you know, I get mixed answers. Um, what do you think, Matt? Yeah. So I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because the, so I, I have some history with, with, you know, China and Chinese. I, I studied Chinese language and have taken several trips there. I was living there for a couple months, uh, about a decade ago. Um, you know, and, and there's just like, like public protests are not really a thing in China. I mean, I mean, most of the public is really supportive of the local or, or of the, of the, you know, CCP. Um, and one, one thought came to mind, uh, like a, this old memory that I'd kind of stored away. Uh, I was visiting Tiananmen Square, I think probably 20 years ago, somewhere around then, uh, when I was in high school mm -hmm. and, um, some protester like just started like throwing pamphlets up in the air and was like, like saying something. I couldn't tell exactly what they were protesting. Mm -hmm. Like pretty much as soon as I noticed this happening, the person was like shoved into a van. All the pamphlets were like scooped up. I don't know by who. And mm. it was just like gone. So and it was, wow. I remember like asking our, our teacher who was like a U.S. citizen, like what happened? And she mm. would not talk about it. Even when we were back on U.S. soil, she would not talk about it. Mm -hmm. So, so that incident kind of put in my mind this, this idea that like, okay, like the Chinese government has absolute power and, you know, the people there, like I spoke to a lot of people and they like, even in candid conversations, they were extremely supportive, like almost shockingly supportive of mm. the, of the national government. So, so the fact that you have these sorts of what looks to be like mass protests, I've seen some videos, not very many, but a few is like deeply shocking to me because this was like my my memory is one protester immediately scooped up and probably like thrown in some you know work camp somewhere <laughs> or yeah. like re-educated or something like that um and, and so i think it is really a big deal that that you do have people like at their breaking point just saying i don't care anymore this zero covid policy has to stop like that alone is is a big deal regardless of like how widespread it is or not um but yeah. it is hard to tell you know exactly what is going on the ground yeah yeah it is that great chinese firewall you know really obscures things i remember the covid you know initial covid outbreaks in wuhan um seeing similar types of 
citizen journalism coming, you know, creeping out of China. And you couldn't quite tell, is this people trying to create, you know, uh, panic or is it actual real stuff going on beyond an isolated, you know, hospital, long line of people coughing, waiting to get in and stuff. And it just felt, it felt, feels eerily similar looking at the images or videos coming out of China the last few days with the protests. Not that it's going to result in, you know, a worldwide contagion of some sort. Of course not. It's a very different thing, but it's just hard to tell what's going on behind that great Chinese firewall. And it feels like there's something to what's going on more than just a couple isolated incidents. Now, what does that mean for markets? That's what our job is like. What does this mean for the macro market? Is it a geopolitical risk similar to like Ukraine being invaded by Russia, where the whole market kind of like didn't know what to do and kind of crashed a little bit further and commodities spiked up and such. So is there going to be some kind of shock to the markets in some way if the unrest in China unravels further to like massive like countrywide protests by everyone under the age of 30 like going in the streets and like you know yeah do, do you think that the the macro markets would respond to that in any way what do you think man so if, if that did occur the way that you're suggesting with like you know mass protests and like a government crackdown that's like you know kind of i think you and i were talking about this yesterday like a yeah. Tiananmen square you know 2.0 type of yeah. thing um, I, to me, that just seems highly unlikely um, mm-hmm. from a lot of the, the kind of reports from anonymous sources that we're hearing out of the CCP. Um, it does seem like the government is trying to find like a way to both claim victory and back off from the zero COVID yeah. policy. They had that emergency so, meeting yesterday. I don't know if you saw the reports of that. Right. So they're saying. Yeah. Like, and it, yeah. It, it was not quite like a backing off the way I think some people were expecting. Um mm-hmm. But there was, a, I would say, a little bit of a, like softening of some of some language. I forget the exact, you know, verbiage that was used. Um, but uh, it was like between making the local government, you know, municipal governments more um, giving them a reframing to ease up when needed, not be like a one right. size fits all for everyone and try to be a little more understanding or something. Right. Like that. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting the way they kind of like threw the local governments under the bus. Like, yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> Beijing has the right policy. It's been implemented yeah. wrong by the locals. Like it's kind yeah. of it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, it it does seem to 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 be the case that like the the Chinese government does want to kind of back off some of the more kind of draconian, um, you know, uh, policies that they've had in place. And so maybe mm-hmm. they they couch that in in uh, oh, like it's been the local governments that have screwed up all along and. You know, Beijing is going to, you know, come to the to the rescue and, you yeah. know, give more clear guidance on how these policies, which haven't changed because we don't make mistakes, like yeah. should be should be implemented. Yeah. yeah, I think it's sort of a most likely a pivot point. Like like you said, it's not a reversal by any means, but it's sort of like a hesitation to not like go harder core on the COVID. Like any dissidents will be squashed. It wasn't like that. They yeah. were trying to emphasize that they were just like, let's be more understanding and reasonable and how we implement implement these things and such. So I think it's sort of like a a pause and, you know, or pivot, you know, similar to what we're expecting the other, you know, the worst case, if there was mass protests, I think the macro markets and the around the world could really get, you know, a little panicky given how big China is to the global economy. If there's, you know, if, if factories are being Mm -hmm. shut down and supply chains, you know, global supply chains are interrupted further, like beyond what COVID did, then I think the the global macro markets will get shaken, but I don't think that's likely here. You know, I don't know what the percentage is, maybe, maybe 10 to 25% chance of that, which is slow, but it's not impossible in my mind. Yeah. And I think it's kind of funny, like, you know, all the, crap that tesla has seen lately like around all like elon being you know unreliable or just you know too flippant on twitter or or his attention's not there like meanwhile yeah. the foxconn factory that supplies apple is like like legitimately like an urban warfare zone yeah like yeah. like apple's lowering their guidance on it's modern day slave labor over there yeah it's crazy like, like how is apple skating by like i don't under get this it. regime it's it's so crazy to me that like elon gets all this hate um, and Apple just like skirts by with this pristine reputation, which <laughs> I think is completely unfounded. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy. It is crazy. That, we'll get into that. Yeah. But the other big macro events going on is um, Powell is speaking tomorrow. Um, 
Last time he had a major speech in between policy decisions that was sort of pivotal, everyone thought, I feel like, was Jackson Hole, and we all know what happened then. But there was a rally kind of leading up to that speech, and then he had changed it reportedly two days before the speech, maybe in response to the rally. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But um, there was a rally of you know in the summer of the markets uh, leading up to that speech, and that speech totally put it out and reversed course on the markets. This time, there's not really a rally going up to this speech. I think the S&P is up like maybe 4 or 5%. It's mostly just traded sideways, let's say. For the last yeah. uh, S&P has not Tesla, you know, Tesla has been down the last couple months, but I think the S&P has been mostly sideways for a couple months now. And um, Powell is speaking tomorrow. So I'm curious. I mean, this is this is like a big event, you know, and then two weeks from then is the um, is the CPI print and the FOMC meeting. That's that's the next big event. So tomorrow I kind of been nervous that the market could go up or down, you know, five or 10% by the end of the week, based on how he talks tomorrow. Uh, that's my, oh, really? my, okay. my gut feeling. Like so, that's like my 50, so you 50 think there's a I go up or down 50%, five to 10%. I think there's a 50% chance. The other 50% chance is it's it, it, the market goes up or down, you know, one to 3% for the rest of the week or something like that, but which isn't much so, normal noise. I'm curious on, on the downside. Like I, I kind of see the upside volatility, but on the downside, like they, they've already been incredibly, yeah. you know, uh, restrictive and, and very aggressive policy or uh, like talking points on, on where policy is going from here. What would, what do you think would cause, like, what could Jay Powell say that would cause like 5% downside this week? I think if he doubles down further on raising rates, like not, not necessarily saying, you know, keeping the door open to 75 basis point hike again, that's possible. Like everyone's pretty much assumed it's going to be 50 basis point hike at this point. But if he says it's possible, we might even do 75 basis points again. And we're looking at the data and the, you know, the data we have says the terminal rate needs to be higher. We think, you know, could be, you know, six or 7% and we're just going to keep having to raise it until we know inflation's under control. You know, if he goes talking like that, then I think the market has to reprice the, you know, the, the long-term, you know, yields and the equities take a bigger valuation hit, right? Because the discount value of equities has to be adjusted and everyone just gets in front of that trade and starts shorting the market. And it just creates a little bit of a un, un, unexpected downdraft to the market, five or 10% down pretty quickly is my thought. Yeah, I, I hope not. But it, I, I suppose if he's, you know, very kind of adamant about the rates will be higher longer than people expect. And that's like his main talking point. I, I could see that, you know, being the case. But uh, it does seem like the economic data in the last month or two uh, has, has really been softening quite substantially. So hopefully yeah. there's a kind of reversal. But uh, we thought that leading into the Jackson Hole meeting, too. Remember, they we had thought that, that all year. <laughs> they had that CPI print that was similar to this last one, better than expected. And we thought going into that, that it was going to be the pivot point, but it's, he reversed, it was the opposite. So Jackson hole is like when, when everything went downhill, it was just like, everyone kind of thought they understood what, what he was thinking. And then it was just Jackson hole came and it's like, Oh, completely different Jerome Powell yeah. than, than what we've been seeing. Yeah. 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 But at least some of the other fed, uh, I don't know what you call them, chairman, governors, whatever the fed representatives, who have been speaking have been saying more dovish things and saying, you know, it's time to slow down rates or whatever, you know, they're at least the, the, the tide is seems to be turning on there. And um, so I think this next FOMC meeting, they're not going to be all aligned. There will, there, there, there will be people arguing for 75 basis points, a few Hawks and a few Hawk doves, maybe even saying 25 basis points. And they'll probably settle on 50. Most, most of them will say 50 probably. So, that's my guess. So I think that that's back to normalcy of how the Fed should be operating is having, you know, diverging opinions being discussed. And it's been puzzling up to this point where they've all been unanimous on every every step of the way. So yeah, I, I did. I did listen to an interesting podcast recently, though, that kind of talked about how there's a lot of backdoor lobbying that has historically gone on. Like, apparently, I didn't know this in, until I, I heard this podcast, but Jerome Powell was actually like very much against the the whole, you know, like zero interest rate policy before he mm. was appointed to the Fed. And then wow. like he got in there and whatever happened, he seemed to be kind of corrupted by the, the group thing going on or, or whatever. And he like became like a huge fan of it. And or at least supported it, even if he didn't personally believe in it. And then now he's just completely reversed course. So I don't know. I I've become a little bit more um, skeptical, or at least critical of of, of the Fed because it, it doesn't seem like 
like a truly honest and open debate is, is what they're after. It does seem like they there's a little bit of like CYA, like, oh, well, we all agree that this is what the economy needs. So yeah. therefore, like a, a 50 basis point hike is appropriate. Yeah, so I, 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 I'm a little bit sad that that seems to be the case, but I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that that is the case. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be the main driver of Tesla stock valuation for some time, I think, too. I mean, the next few weeks, at least, it seems, um, you know, all the growth tech stocks are basically following, you know, on the heels of what interest rate uh, expectations are for the mm -hmm. medium and long term, you know, because that the reason for that is because of how valuations are, are placed on discount value. What is it? Discount to the present value based on the interest rate um, yeah. formula, you know, the formula you put, use the interest rate on. So the higher the interest rates are, so the, the more you have to, the, the more the you have to cost discount. of equity, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the kind of cap M model, the, the risk-free rate increases, which increases the, you know, the, the cost of equity and then the discount yeah. rate for basically all financial securities. And, you know, the higher beta stocks, which growth stocks are, you know, obviously get hit harder in those circumstances. So I think yeah. that's why we, we've seen the huge movement that we have. And like, meanwhile, utility stocks are trading at PEs comparable to, to, to like Tesla and growth stocks. And it's just like it's insane. Oh, it's it's so crazy. But and so then if you if you adjust that by like cutting those by the long term growth rate, the peg ratio is, is what that is. That to me is is like the most underutilized metric at this point, because the yeah. sectors are like wildly uh, giving giving wildly different valuations right now. And so I think like short energy, short um, like utility utilities and kind of along some i don't know middle market in a small handful of, of growth stocks is is possibly a, a winning formula but not investment advice yeah i mean the way i think of it is a simple way that helps for anyone kind of new to trying to figure out what this all means with interest rates is like if you're a multi-billion dollar pension fund manager and you need to try to get a certain return on your 10 billion dollars of equity capital for California retirement teachers or whatever fund, then um, if interest rates are at zero, you can't put it in fixed income and get that return to get the pension paid, right? So when interest rates are at zero or close to zero, you got to be doing other things more actively, putting it in, you know, um, dividend stocks, but also a combination of growth stocks, you know, that you expect to grow to a certain amount at a certain time that you can sell later for an average of X percent return over the, those years. But when fixed in income rates go up to like five or 10%, like they are now, suddenly, now you have a whole new um, basket of a, a way of diversifying that $10 billion. And you take a ton of it out of equities and put it in the fixed income assets to guarantee your, you know, 10% return because that makes your job so much easier than you don't have the risk of, you know, equity markets falling or, you know, so when interest rates go up a lot, people are have less appetite to take risk in the equity markets because they can get a nice guaranteed return with fixed income, even if it's just treasuries and not corporate bonds, for, for example. So it's, uh, it, that's sort of the way I think of it to, to make sense of it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so let's move on to Tesla and Elon. Uh, Tesla still trading around $180 here. I mean, it was down to 160 something just last week, I think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's the big thing about Tesla. I forgot to tell you yesterday in the, in the, in our chat, Matt, is the Tesla semi delivery event on t um, Thursday night. I got an invite and I'm going. Oh, did you? Yeah. Nice. And me and uh, Andrew. I don't know. You remember Andrew? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to go. I got I got the raffle invite the second round, of you know, when they did the second round. And so I'm excited to go. But I think there could be uh, that could be no one's expecting that to be do anything like we hardly we, i don't think we really touched on it yesterday yeah. in our prep call <laughs> we don't, no we didn't we, sort of, we we didn't we, no one's expecting i don't think any investors expected to really move the needle but that's a good that's a good sign it's not going to be a letdown no matter what on my in my opinion like the ai day or cyber truck unveiling you know those things the model 3 unveiling you know a lot of times the stock crashes you know 10% yeah. a couple of days afterwards because there's a lot of hope and anticipation leading up to the event yeah. for some reason or people would buy like the short-term calls and the implied volatility would kind of spike around a Tesla event like this, even a delivery event, which like, and, and almost uniformly over the last, you know, three, four years, the stock has like fallen after, after these events or, or at minimum kind of been flat. There's been, yeah. I can't even think of a single event other than like a, a good earnings report. And even then most of the good earnings report, like the stock would fall after them. So 
yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to trade around it, but um, you're no. right that expectations are really, really zero. low right now for the, they're zero. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I wonder how many institutional investors or even retail investors are even aware that there's like a, like that <laughs> Tesla is going to deliver semis this quarter. Like, like that's yeah. going to hit earnings in Q4. Yeah. Now, it'll be yeah. small, but it's not nothing. Yeah. It's not nothing. And I think it changes the way people look at transportation. Like I think it starts the process of people starting to understand that, whoa, this electric semi trucks are, a th- are a real, like forget Bill, what Bill Gates says. He's not right. <laughs> they're actually legitimate. They're here. They're being delivered and they work. And based on this presentation, Elon and the Tesla team gives, they'll show the vision of what they're going to become with autonomous fleets or whatever the charging capabilities and to go 500 miles with 81,000 pounds, you know, already. And that's going to increase over time, I think with technology getting better. Um, but I think the, 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 the big picture framing of it is it makes the, it can, it, it has the potential to make the entire rail industry obsolete. You know, the, it, mm-hmm. think about it. I mean, trains are a very efficient way to transport things right now. But what happens when you have like a, a zero, a, like an autonomous zero fuel cost truck that goes, that has millions of miles, it can go, you know, per vehicle and they can drive throughout the night autonomously. And it's much more flexible from point A to point B. You don't need to load things on the trains, load things off with trucks or whatever. You're, you know, you just... I think trucks, autonomous electric trucks will displace the entire rail industry. I I don't see a need for the rail industry once you have these semi trucks all over the place doing things autonomously. I mean, that's a big pick. What do you think? So I I think that's right. But I think the Elon did kind of walk down those comments. um, I forget when it was, maybe about a year ago when he was talking about exactly this, maybe three, four years ago. and and i think on highways that's right like but um where you can get you know five semis 10 semis whatever uh, 20 semis why not just like following each other in very short um like you can have them like really hugging each other so that like a car can't actually squeeze in and you can do that safely as long as the lead car has has good vision um but I, I think the the problem is when you like get on the off ramp and you've all of a sudden got to you know, like turn right and like that's a whole different um, set of driving parameters than what FSD has been trained for. Now I think yeah. eventually they're going to have enough data where they can really like you know just uh, work on that problem. Uh, but I think it might be a couple of years after FSD beta like enables robo taxis to, to see that vision come through. But that doesn't mean that it's any less disruptive. I think it's just a different time frame than maybe I was expecting two or three years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think the time frame could be the end of this decade, not like in two or three mm-hmm. years it would disrupt. But I think if Tesla produces enough sem- semis, I think they're shooting for 50,000 a year in 2024. That's like the target. Well, let's say they get to 500,000 a year by 2028 or 29, a million a year by 2030. Let's, I don't know. That I'm just spitballing things yeah i mean that's a lot of semi trucks that are being utilized even more often than current trucks because number one they can drive their the autonomous technology i think will surely be there by then you know like in the next two or three years i think you're right in terms of the autonomous technology but by the end of the decade the autonomous autonomous driving technology be so advanced that like there will be no need for a driver will be clear it's like perfectly yeah. safe. It's like 99.9999999% safe, you know? Yeah. Like there'll yeah, be yeah. like, it'll be headline news when there's like one fatality from an autonomous truck or autonomous cars fault by that time. You know, it's going to be so good by, you know, in eight or nine years from now that, you know, I think uh, that won't be the issue. So, I, you know, I think um, I saw someone say it'll kill the road. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, th- these trucks uh while they're heavy and they might hurt some neighborhood you know they could be less they don't have to necessarily be when you have the volume increase you could lighten the load on them or you could find the roads that are most capable of handling heavy trucks and just focus on those roads and only go on the side or you know the the mapping will be so good the driving directions and mapping will be so good with autonomous trucks that it will be so efficient like they'll just they can just drive at night when no one else is on the road even like that could be the max usage or something and um, there's just so many ways I think that it can, w- when it's maximized with technology that the, ra- I don't see the a need for the railway industry at that point. You know, I just don't see it. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, if they if they can undercut rail on cost, and that's yes, an if, that's, but I, I think key. I I think they can, like in, they in the long term. I think yeah. I think they can, and I think they will. You get rid of then, the driver and fuel costs, and you have a truck that can go ten million miles as opposed to one million or whatever the current yeah. trucks do, or five hundred thousand. I don't know. Yeah, and, and so then you can back up each individual car right to the factory, and so then have the workers in the factory unload that. Like that's a huge cost saving relative mm -hmm. to rail, which needs like a massive station, and like things are like loaded onto a truck that has an individual driver, and then that truck like backs itself, you know, to or drives to to wherever the the final destination is. Um, you know, the semi has the potential to really undercut that. So I think it's it's really exciting in the long term. But yeah, I think you're right. It's going to take yeah. a while before the market recognizes that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and if the market doesn't believe in like autonomy for a Model 3, uh, yeah. it's going to be a, a bigger point, I think, to convince them of, of uh, you know, the, the margin potential long term on like a yeah. rail undercutting semi fleet. Yeah. I see major human in the YouTube comments saying rail will be good for very heavy goods. And that's, you know, that's a good reason to maybe keep the yeah. rail open. If, you know, goods that weigh hundreds of thousands of pounds that need to be transported, you know, then th those things railway might be a better application. Uh, but yeah, I would say at my guess is I'm going to make a prediction. 80% of railway will be um, taken offline by 2032, 10 years. From yeah. Now. That's my, you prediction. know, so, so one of the comment I see here, uh, Dan Roberts says, have you ever been on Highway 5 in California? Bumper to bumper trucks already. Much more infrastructure will be needed. Yes. Well, if you know anything about about um, like driver incentives, drivers who are willing to travel cross country instead of like in a local region and go back to home every night get paid a premium. And drivers that are willing to drive overnight instead of during the daytime hours uh, are also paid a premium. So if you have autonomous trucks, you yeah. can just schedule them to drive at night, you know, call it, you know, 10 o'clock to eight in the morning, that's going to be way less traffic. So it'll get there faster. You'll be able to charge on the way at a cheaper rate because nighttime uh, charging is a lot cheaper than, than like peak daytime charging. Uh, mm -hmm. So like, I think there's a lot of room to kind of change the economics as we understand them for, for trucking. And it's, it, you know, it's a really exciting decade, I think, in terms of yeah. the deck or the uh, the technology that I think is going to come to fruition. But uh, what if, market does not believe it right now. Yeah, I mean, the cost of running running the truck is so low with no driver in it, with no fuel cost. What if you even had like a rule where, like, if autonomous, if there's a bunch of autonomous trucks on a highway and there's a traffic stop stoppage because of it that they're forced to pull over to the side and just wait it out and sit there for a few hours until it lightens up and then they go back on you know like that wouldn't be that much mm -hmm. of a cost i mean sure in terms of timing if someone's trying to get the deliveries but for things that aren't so time essential in terms of delivering you know long distances you know there's no driver you have to expense for those few hours on the road you know there's, there's a lot less uh friction in trying to be more flexible with the autonomous electric trucks i think keeping the roadways roadways smooth you know flowing yeah. smoothly and then you have the trucks you know uh, the car i read a book or a, a, a fascinating um uh story not story a book or article or something scientific article about the the, the cause of bumper-to-bumper uh, -bumper traffic you know and it's actually because of the brake lights and people pressing their brakes you know kind of gingerly at every little nervous point and it causes every it causes like a chain reaction and then it just creates oh my a traffic gosh. jam. So when yeah. you have self-driving cars or self-driving trucks, a lot of them on the road, you'll have so much less of that. And I think the roads will be much more efficient just because of that. That that's actually a, a really uh poorly understood point, I think. And it's actually why I got interested in electric vehicles in the first point is like I used to drive very kind of energy efficient like mm -hmm. well before like probably 10 years ago before I was invested in Tesla or anything. But I remember like there was this one particular stretch of highway where like there was an off ramp, but you had to like go maybe half a mile and then go to another off, like off ramp that would slow down to like 25 miles an hour on this curve. And I remember mm -hmm. like people would be going 75 miles an hour, hit the brakes to go around this one curve, hit the gas to go get like back up to 75 and then slam on the brakes about five seconds later just to, yeah. to like go on this 25 mile an hour exit ramp. And I just remember thinking like I was really deep, deep into physics at that point what a waste of energy that is. You're gaining yeah. maybe two seconds, probably not yeah. uh, on like your trip time. And you are wasting, like, I don't know, a decent amount of gas to do like this braking and accelerating. And I just remember thinking that is so dumb. Like, why not just like keep a bigger space in front of the car in front of you, 
slow gradually. And, and if yeah. everybody followed that same sort of mindset where like you just slow, like you accelerate and decelerate very gradually, you, you can pack cars much more tightly together. You're not going to have as much jerk, which is like change in acceleration. And that is really, mm -hmm. to your point, what causes traffic jams. Yeah. It's not, and also you know, the, the, also the rubbernecking traffic jams. You heard the, you know what the term rubbernecking for traffic jams is? No, I don't know. It? What is oh, that? I don't, I don't know if it's like a grant. My grandfather told me or some, I don't know. It's an old generation thing, but basically um, right now when there is like a police car pulled a motorcycle over on the side of the road, or there was an accident on those side of the road, then everyone on the side that's fine slows down instinctively to turn their neck and create that little. Oh, there. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> look. Yeah. And so you're not going to have any of those slow down traffic stops track when you have a lot more autonomous cars, because not everyone's going to be, you know, rubbernecking to turn and look what's going on over in the other highway, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's been, I can't, tell you how many times i've been in that situation where i'm like stuck in traffic for 45 minutes and then like you finally get and there, there's like no lane closure or anything it's just like the other side of the highway yeah, people are just yeah, doing yeah. this it's so yeah. frustrating so yeah yeah, yeah. the, the, so, the future is looking bright it's looking bright with with traffic i think yeah um so yeah i mean and and the big presentation tomorrow night is Neuralink. i'm excited for that too that's not going to affect tesla but it will get an idea of elon's uh state of mind i think a little bit if he's there presenting with them so it'll be and I'm very curious about Neuralink anyway. The future of humanity yeah. with Neuralink is huge. So that's exciting. We don't really cover Neuralink on this podcast, but we'll talk about it from time to time. If there's something crazy revealed tomorrow, I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. Um, but the FSD You can have beta a banana smoothie to, to celebrate? <laughs> I will have a banana. Chocolate, peanut butter, banana smoothie, I think. Yeah, with, the, with that's All what right. I'm going to have. Like the, the monkey, you know, the monkey was drinking yeah. that. Ping pong. Out of, a, out of a tube, just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a good treat, you know. So, uh, <laughs> the next, uh, the, the big thing on our list is the FSD beta wide release, right? I mean, that's that's huge. Mm -hmm. You know, do we have any idea of how many people? Like, there was one hundred sixty thousand beta testers in the U.S. Do we have any idea or estimates? Do you think of how many? I think Troy's estimated it, and other people have. But what, what are your what's your guesstimate for how many FSD? uh capable you know paid for um customers there are in the US is it like 300,000 500,000 a million what do you think yeah so so the the kind of number i'm working off of and and we don't know for sure but um what seems to be right based on the the deferred revenue balance that we've seen as well as kind of the the previous history of like um uh deliveries and and the implied take rate over time it, it looks like there's somewhere around 350,000 um like paid users in the United States um which is you know well fewer than the the number of of you know uh hardware 3 cars there are out there mm -hmm. um but i think it the the math that i've been honing in on for a while and again this could be wrong but i think as an order of magnitude it's about right is like about a billion dollars of deferred revenue will be recognized in Q4, and then you'll have higher recognition going forward. Um, so I think it's going to be around that billion dollar figure in terms of pre-tax earnings that that gets recognized. Um, analysts, I think, will rightly back that out because it is a one-time you know benefit. But, but one question for my, you is: yeah. in the U.S., they're probably going to deliver what? In the quarter four, maybe two hundred thousand. What what's what what do they deliver? The uh, I don't track 000, the geography. Fifty somewhere in that range. Okay. I don't know. One hundred fifty thousand in the U.S. Q four. You know, best case one hundred seventy or eighty thousand. Let's say I don't know, but let's say one hundred fifty thousand in the U.S. How many of those people ordered FSD? We think it's like fifteen percent or something. So that's like twenty thousand. Let's say twenty thousand people ordered FSD in Q four. That twenty thousand cars with the extra twelve thousand dollars, or fifteen thousand or twelve thousand, I forget. Well, so it's it's fifteen thousand, but only half of it's recognized right now. So the the but incremental now, amount Q four wouldn't all of it be recognized for Q four? Yeah, so that'd be an, an incremental one hundred fifty million dollars somewhere in that mm -hmm. in that range yeah. uh, with, with the numbers that you just pointed out. So I mean, I mean that's not massive not in nothing, the grand scheme of things, but, but I think the the attention of analysts, I think. Yeah, you, you have to change your margin assumptions going forward. So let, let's assume that the manufacturing margin is constant uh, Q4 to Q3, which I don't think it will be. I think it's actually going to improve because you've got higher output at all factories. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just assume that, you know, like they've 
you kind of uh, the, 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 the manufacturing margins stay where they are, well, your gross margin is still going to increase because your software sales, which are 100% margin, are now fully recognizable. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a change that analysts have not baked into their models. Um, so if you have some combination where, you know, it's more recognizable and take rate increases, I think it's going to take some time for that thesis to play out. But I think it's a, a legitimate prospect now that people are like showing it like i've been showing I, it around the holidays to all my friends and family and people are like blown away by it i think um, take rate increases in q1 and q2 like let, if it's 15 percent now i think in the u.s it increases to 20 to 25 percent in q1 and q2 just because like you said people more people are showing it to other people that's one thing that's another thing is people now know if they buy it, they're going to get to use it right away. Right. They don't have to buy That's it and a, wait an indefinite amount of time and be like, I don't want to pay for this. Who knows when it'll be ready. Now they know I buy it, I get it, you know, like instant gratification, yeah. you know? And so I think you'll have a take rate much higher potentially because that could be as high as 30 or 40%, but I'm just saying conservatively, I think 20 to 25% Q2, Q3 in the U and Q1, Q2 yeah. in the US. And then the other like minor addition is, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, tailwind to help take rate is you have the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't directly tie to full self-driving, of course, but because people are going to get this extra rebate on their car back, they can justify spending up on an yeah. option they wouldn't have otherwise spent on in my in my in my judgments. Yeah. And that might be marginally, you know, I don't know, maybe an extra two or three percent. I don't know. But altogether, I think it's at least 20 to 25 percent Q1, Q2. Yeah. Q2 at the latest, we would see that, but I would think we'll see a substantial take rate increase and that'll, you know, what do you think about that? So I'm not modeling anyone. And part of the reason I guess is because I was assuming a take rate increase in years past and it just, it's like the opposite happened. So I'm a little bit yeah. like scarred mentally from being a little bit too optimistic <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is I, like, I've heard some anecdotes about people who bought FSD um, and they've been put in like a queue or a wait list. And so I don't know mm -hmm. too much detail about that, but it doesn't seem like at least yet that people are getting it like right away like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and on top of that, there's maybe a three month backlog. So even if yeah. let, let's say like somebody, like I show my brother today, he says, wow, that's really yeah. cool. I want to buy it. It might take him, you know, three months to take delivery. And then yeah. I, I don't know what Tesla's policy is going to be at that point. Like, do they, are they still like slow rolling the, the FSD yeah. rollout? Uh, Let's take they Q2 are, then next it, year then Q2, yeah. Q3, you know, with the delayed rollout of all that. And, but I think the take rate increases substantially when people know if they select that option, they get to use it within a hundred miles or whatever, within a week of driving their car and the Tesla insurance score is not terrible or whatever, then they get approved. And they know if they know that is going to happen, I think how many people have decided not to get it because of that, that, you know, in, in not knowing when they'll get it, you know, like there's probably so many, like I've had so many friends and family members in the last like year who got Tesla's and like, I don't know, should I get this FSD beta? And I explain it to them. I'm like, well, it's really a good deal because in the future you'll get to, use it. but it totally puts them off when I'm like yeah. in, the, in the future, they don't know like when in the future, I'm like, I don't really know, but sometime I think it'll be <laughs> next year, but it could be five years now. We don't really know. And they're just like, nah, I don't want to yeah. do it. But if I could instead say, yeah, you should do it. You're going to get this cool new feature I use all the time. I bet at least half of them would have selected to pick that up. You know, like it just yeah. makes a big difference when you're selecting that, making that decision. Oh, and I remember my old boss actually bought it like four years ago or something like that. And I was like, well, like, what do you think about it? And he's like, oh, I haven't tried it. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 yeah. and, and i've heard james dalman like make some similar comments about uh when he's looked at the statistics of like driving compared to the number of vehicles out there it seems like there's you know 10 percent of the drivers who are doing 90 percent of the miles and you know 90 percent yeah. of the drivers hardly ever use it so um, yeah i think it may yeah. take some time we're, we're i'm not I, I i'm hesitant to assume any change in take rate until tesla actually starts pushing fsd and, and right yeah. now i think they're really cautious because like it still does dangerous stuff we were talking about snow last week and some of the issues that it has there um i, I think there's still enough cases where it doesn't make the right decision where tesla doesn't want to push it aggressively but i think mm -hmm. when they get to the point of comfort where they're saying okay now it's really safe it actually like beyond any shadow of a doubt it improves driver safety um then they're going to start pushing it and and I think when they do that, like the, one of the things we've been talking about for a long time that they could do is just like give every single Tesla owner like a 60 day free trial. And I think yeah. a very hard, uh, high percentage of those drivers will say, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I can't live without yeah. it. I'll yeah. pay 300 bucks, 400 bucks a month 
for this subscription to FSD beta. And when they yeah. do that, I think that's when the transformation of the financials, I think, will take place. Yeah. And the safety statistics are going to tell the story. The, the results will speak for themselves. And this is a big boon for the safety statistics ramping up in volume of how many miles are being driven with FSD beta enabled on the car versus cars that don't have it enabled and how many deaths or, you know, accidents happen. I, I am a big believer that the vast majority of accidents are preventable. If, if yeah. you weren't look, if people, phones were not able to be used, doesn't mean no one should be able to use a phone in their car. I'm saying, but, uh, but FSD beta, when it's being used, it, pretty much eliminates that risk of looking at your phone, you know, because if you look, if you're still, people are still going to look at their phones, you're not going to be able to stop that. And so when FSD beta is enabled and being used, when people are looking at their phones, well, guess what? The car is going to stop for the kid crossing the road, you know, yeah. that you otherwise would have ran into with looking at your phone or the car is going to stop for the car in front of you that stopped abruptly to stop in front of a deer while you were looking at your phone, you know, so there's, there, yeah. there's, there's, there's going to be something, the, the results will speak for themselves. And that, that's what I'm excited for too. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, like just anecdotally, I, my wife does not have a Tesla. I was driving her car the other day and like, you know, something just caught my attention on the side and I was looking at that for a second. It didn't seem long at all. And all of a sudden yeah. I realized the car in front of me was slamming on the brakes. And so I like panicked and like really yeah. had to slam on the brakes. And it's like that sort of thing just doesn't happen in a Tesla. Like, no. especially when you're on FSD, like yeah. a, a two second, you know, lapse in your judgment is is like yeah. not penalized in the Tesla kids and fighting in really... the backseat or whatever tell them to calm down yeah yeah that happened to me once a long time ago so yeah you just you know, all those things will be prevented yeah when you have the yeah the full self but it, it's so funny how the, the commentary is, is the reverse though it's like oh like occasionally <laughs> like the tesla will like be jerky in a lane so like we've got to ban it it's like no that's <laughs> yeah it's so dumb it is dumb very so and Elon, I mean, he's such a, a big magnet for bashing and criticism now. I mean, I feel I feel for him. You know, he's really sacrificed his life to become this magnet of criticism and bashing for the better of society. You know, like he's trying to improve the world. He's not trying to make himself rich to like live on yachts or whatever. You know, he's clearly a different breed of species of some sort. You know, he's just... He's, yeah he's motivated differently and um, he's quite capable, you know, uh, the most capable engineer in the world and, you know, uh, marshal of resources. I mean, what an incredible person to have in civilization. And yet he gets so much, you know, adversity thrown at him um, by all, I, I think it's all the people's toes he's stepping on, you know, he's, he's stepping on so many toes of so many industries now with Twitter and the media and it's it's and it's picking really, fights with Apple and yeah. fights with Apple now. I mean, it's going a little too fast for me. I put out like a tweet yesterday, like, "Hey, maybe slow it down a little." You know, you, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, like you're making a lot of progress, but you know, it, things can get irreversibly, you know, backfire. You know, backfire could be irreversibly damaging if it's too strong. You know, like Apple suddenly yeah. shuts down Twitter, then that's going to be hard to come back from at this point. It's going to really put Twitter into like a long winter for a while. So. Yeah, I mean, Elon, I, I love what he's doing. I, I fully support him. He's way smarter than me. I think he knows what he's doing. I trust his judgment, but I hope he's taking a look at the big picture as well and knows that maybe some of his goals can be accomplished if he does things a little more methodically and, and you know, yeah. it, it, not so quickly all at once, you know, not ripping Band-Aids off all at once, you know? What do yeah, you think? I, I, I think that's right. I mean... Like, I think I've seen a lot of commentary from like, people who just think he, he's got like, you know, ill intentions. Like Jack White had this thing when he he got off of um, Twitter and he was saying like, Elon's just like doing everything he can, like for the money. And he's like, you know, putting Trump back on like was, you know, too much. And like, clearly Jack White doesn't understand, you know, Elon's motivations because you and I know that money is not what's motivating you know uh, what Elon <laughs> yeah. but like you know a lot of people who don't follow him as closely understandably don't know that about him and so yeah. like I think people can be forgiven for um, misunderstanding some of his actions right now and and I think in the context of of uh, everything that Tusk is going through right now and frankly everything that Twitter is going through right now with losing advertisers and um, mm -hmm. I, I do agree with you that like slowing the, the, the pace of change down a little bit might be <laughs> a little helpful or at least like being somewhat more mindful of his tone 
uh, you yeah. know, being a little bit more diplomatic, I think would, would go a long way right now. And he mm -hmm. seems to have no interest in diplomacy. Um, yeah. So, and so part of that's probably his Asperger's part of that's, you know, probably just that like, he's very principled. He's got the bigger picture in mind and he's yeah. very principled. And so like, like if, if you're, you know, fighting the, like the, like the bad guy, you want to, you know, just take a principled stand, but uh, yeah. that's causing a lot of collateral damage, I think right now. And so I, th I think it would be nice to see if he was just a little bit more cognizant of that. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, you know, I like what I'm seeing with Twitter, though. I think it's progressing in the right direction. Um, and yeah, we, like we talked in the beginning, maybe spaces will be a target to improve soon, which will be exciting. And there's just lots of exciting things to do with Twitter as long as it's still available for people to use and not taking off Google and Apple's app stores. And then we'll all have to be like on PC computers <laughs> going onto the internet site for Twitter and won't be able to use on our mobile devices. You know, so it, it's, a uh, you know, it, I'm sure... Uh, yeah, I mean the Twitter, the Tesla phone. I don't think that's happening. Um, I don't think so either. No, yeah, I, he doesn't like, want to do that. It's a. I think that was a strategic thing. Like, oh, like of course, if Apple is like tries to pick a fight, then that's you worst know, case. Yeah, we'll we'll case. go like nuclear on them. Like, I, <laughs> but I don't think you know, years. I think that's, like, that's produced good... to design and produce. It'll be like two yeah. years before it's out in people's hands. A year maybe best with Elon time if he pushes it. In terms of Elon time, meaning like him pushing his engineers, but yeah, they won't be able to, well, you know, it's, it's just a, yeah. It's and Amazon a tried that, like Amazon tried and failed to do the fire phone. And that actually had like really cool features. I remember taking a look at that at the time being like, wow, like this is actually, the, there, there was a lot of really cool, like real world VR, um, like AR capabilities that they'd built in there, like some pretty impressive stuff. And still that product completely failed. So even mm -hmm. if Tesla has like an amazing phone, that's better than the iPhone, which I think is a big if, but if they did, yeah. Um, like that doesn't mean that it would guarantee success. So, uh, I, I, I don't think they're going to go down that path. Yeah. Yeah. He can't do everything. You know, he's got to pick his battles carefully from here. I think, he, you know, I was listening to, uh, it, it reminds me of that song from notorious B I G mo money, mo problems, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Like, uh, it, it, Elon's getting bigger and bigger and he's getting more and more problems and Tesla investors, you know, as we see Tesla grow bigger, not just Tesla, but as we Elon's, you know, influence on different industries grow, then there's more and more problems that Tesla gets caught in the crossfire on. I mean, you have, you know, yeah. apparently you have some people that are like hardcore, you know, uh, left leaning, you know, politically that are going to not buy a Tesla because of this, or at least they say that. I'm not sure that's true, but um, I'm not sure how 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 marginal that uh, difference in demand actually yeah. will be. I'm suspicious of it being more than a few percentage points in total demand, you know, being decreased or something, but some people speculate it could be like 10 or 20% of demand decreased or more, you know, if you're alienating. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see, but it, you know, I, I, I just don't think that it's going to be really a meaningful impact based on yeah. like maybe people even feel that now, but then six months from now, they go to buy a car, they kind of forget about this. And then they look at the specs and say, okay, like for the same price, you know, the Tesla gets 75 <laughs> miles more range. So like, okay, yeah. cool. I'll go with it. Plus it's like available now yeah. rather than like wait a year and get like a markup from it. I dealer, can't imagine. So. Yeah. I can't imagine them, them, then their wife saying, but it's Elon. We can't support him. <laughs> you know, it's going to, that. I bet. It's all, all my money's going to Trump for sure. If I support yeah. Elon, like, like I, yeah. there's probably some small percentage of people who, who would think that way. But uh, you know, I, th yeah. I think most people are like, don't care about it as much or are not following it yeah. or like the, the facts of like the product decision will, will vastly overweigh whatever Elon, you know, controversy is existing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else we want to talk about with Tesla, Elon? Should we go to Q and A now? What do you think, Matt? Anything else? We want to yeah, talk about? we've 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 been going on for fifty minutes or so, so I think we should open it up to to some Q and A for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. All right, Alex, behind the scene, highlighting some questions from Twitter. Life at one hundred and thirty beats per minute. I like that username. Uh, hey, uncom <laughs> uncomfortable question: Is it time to start worrying about Elon's mental health? I mean, I think it's always a question people always have his mental health. I mean, he did tweet that picture of like the, the, the you know, the, yeah, the, the gun and the like eight diet Coke cans or whatever. Yeah. Uncaffeinated. And, you know, I'm not worried about the uncaffeinated diet Coke cans as, as much. I mean, lots of people, my dad drinks tons of diet Coke and he's, we've all are 
us kids have been worried about him because he drink he used to drink like six cans a day for like years and years. <laughs> We're like, well, that's too much diet coke, dad. You shouldn't be drinking. And but he's fine. I don't know. I'm just I'm a little nervous about that, but not as much. He could be drinking or taking sleep meds all the time, sleep pills all the time, like I think he used to. But uh, hopefully he's not doing that stuff. But the gun was a little like, why was that in the picture? You know, like, what's the purpose is, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, he tried to make a joke of it, like a musket, you know, like Elon musket. I don't know if that was the purpose of yeah. the gun, but uh, it was like, definitely not like a modern gun. It was like an antique gun of some sort. So maybe it was just a joke. I mean, I, yeah, I doubt like, him defending himself with an antique gun, you know? I don't think, yeah. Like, so I was in, um uh sandy monroe's office and he had like a bunch of antique guns but they were like mounted on a wall and it was like very clear yeah. like okay this guy's not like keeping a gun on his bedside table necessarily it's just like he's interested yeah. in antique guns um with with elon's it was a little bit more odd so it was I, odd like to me that that seemed like a pink flag like you know the, mm, yeah. we, i think we've all had questionable tweets from time to time i, I know i i certainly have i've had things i've yeah. you know deleted or just been too aggressive on some things so you know uh, a, a lapse in judgment, I think. I think there is reasonable to assume, but like all the rest of the stuff, to, to me, it kind of fits with his his mental picture of the world. So it doesn't seem necessarily that um, you know, like his worldview is changing or his priorities are changing. I think it's just um, you know he's picking a lot of fights right now, and it's a particularly volatile you know, period of time, um, given how much backlash he's he's getting with all the changes he's trying to implement. Um, yeah. So. To me, I, I'm not super concerned about it right now. You know, if, you know, he starts tweeting a lot about like, I don't know, some random conspiracy theory or something that just doesn't seem to fit with like his hi like hyper rational worldview that he's communicated so well in the past. That's when I would be a little bit, you know, more concerned. Um, but no, I like I to me, I don't think he's. He's on like the Howard Hughes yeah. path right now where he's going to like just like like not shower and like have like super long fingernails in the next yeah. 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I see Thaddeus Walker in the YouTube content. It was a game gun and a possible replica antique gun. The bottom gun had no trigger. OK, I mean, that's fair. I mean, I'm not a gun expert and most of us aren't on those types of guns, especially. So maybe it was just an antique gun. But I wonder if there's some symbolism there or something. I don't know. But. It's just a uh, possible, we're not saying it's definitely a pink flag, but it's just a possible pink flag, just something to be aware of. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. his mental health, let's just keep a close eye and make sure I think uh, from a physical health perspective, he seems to be on the right track. I mean, he was doing intermittent fasting or fasting of some sort, and he's getting, he's talking about sleep being more a priority for him recently, I think. And so I think he's commented on Andrew Huberman's uh, post a few times. So he's apparently taking in um, health information, which is good. Physical yeah. health. We need him physically healthy. So as long as he's physically healthy, I'm not yeah. as worried about his mental state. It's if he stops sleeping again and he's taking sleeping pills and to sleep or he's, you know, if, if, if stuff like that's happening, then I think the mental health is something to be, keep a closer eye on. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And so seeing a lot of these comments that like the gun didn't have a trigger, it was a toy gun. Like that makes me feel a lot better because I didn't notice that. So, you know, yeah. the fact that it actually appears to be, you know, like an actual toy, like that, <laughs> I do feel a lot better about that. Yeah. Let's go to the next question here <clears throat> from Anthony 6518-1997 on Twitter. With Starling currently operating in the mobile phone bandwidth, is now the time to launch an iPhone competitor? I mean, it certainly could be if he's going to do that, but I don't think he wants, I think he's already bitten off so much. I mean, he, the Twitter thing, I feel like he thinks is going to make his head explode as it is. He's working 120 hours a week or something he's mentioned recently. So if he's going to do a phone thing, he's going to want to do it right. He's not going to just delegate it completely to some engineers like he's delegating boring company. You know, that's probably 5% of his time or something. He's probably delegated it mostly to yeah. a bunch of engineers he trusts. But I would think a phone, he couldn't just delegate you know, to people, he'd have to, he'd want to do it right and spend a significant amount of time to get the design right, the inner, you know, all that stuff, the software right. And, and, uh, I don't think he's ready to commit to that right now on some big new endeavor. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, they have a partnership with T-Mobile. I mean, I wonder if there's something there. I don't know if T-Mobile has expertise to build phones or not their own phones. I think they're just a service provider. Right. So, yeah, they're like the, the land-based network. Yeah. I mean, I, I think now is definitely not not the right time to launch an iPhone competitor. Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. But, but we don't know. So far. We also don't know what's going on behind the scenes with the discussions with Apple. I mean, he's just let out like, Hey, Apple, like we don't know how serious Apple's trying to strong arm Twitter and Elon into 
doing whatever they're trying to get him to do to keep him on the app store? I mean, was it just like a, a hint or is Elon reading too much into some negotiation tactic by Apple or is Apple really behind the scenes saying like, we're going to take you off the app store unless you do X, Y, and Z. And, and, and Elon's like, well, we can't do what I think is right if we do all those things. So I have to build a phone, you know, we don't know how far they are in that kind of strong arming with, with Apple and the app store as kind of a, yeah. I, I did see somebody in the comments said that Elon did delete that tweet where he said that going to war with Apple and the <laughs> car that was taking the exit. So I think okay. if, if Elon actually did delete that tweet, which it's, I, I believe whoever commented that, then uh, I think that's a good sign that things are not going to escalate from here. Yeah. So good question. Next question is from Calistoker123 on Twitter. Could you guys please expand on Lemonade work ethic insights gathered from Investor Day? I think we had like a offhanded comment about, you know, Lemonade last week where we mentioned that, you know, we just don't know if they're as hardcore as like Elon's startups are. I don't know what we, we, they, you know, we just, we have concerns of anyone should, you should always have concerns of a company you're, you feel bullish on. If you can't find the concerns of a company you're bullish on, then you're not doing your homework, right? You, You can't just have rose colored glasses on any company. So with Lemonade, you know, we, we think it's, we love the stock, the potential opportunity for it, but there's always concerns with everything. And one concern, you know, is maybe that, you know, the culture there could be um, not, it, it could be closer to what Twitter's culture was like before Elon came in. We're not sure, you know, um, yeah. it, I don't know enough to be, to, to, I haven't talked to the employees to know, like, are they, you know, getting super amazing perks that cost a lot of money. Like, I don't really know for sure. I mean, they're in, in New York City, a big office there. And um, it was you know, a really nice office. I think that might might have been part of where this was coming from. It was like the office was was amazing. The employees seemed super happy. And that's not yeah. a bad thing. Um, but yeah, to me, it kind of reminds me of uh, when we interviewed those two Rivian bulls. And, you know, they were saying, like, we we're asking about RJ Scaringe and like, kind of contrasting him with Elon, like Elon was yeah. sleeping on the floor. And we're like, do you think RJ would do that? And they're like, well, I think he's a little too bougie was the exact yeah. quote to, to like, you know, do that. And I think yeah. that might be the same sort of thing that, that we saw. Like, you know, they may be a little too comfortable to do like the really aggressive hard things to, to ensure that there's like, you know, a 99% chance that Lemonade survives. I don't, I don't, I think if they had to choose between like a comfortable life and 80% chance of, lemonade surviving and um like a just like insane aggressive work schedule like 120 hours a week and 90 percent chance that lemonade survives i think they choose the 80 percent. so yeah it, it might just be you know on the margins we're, we're not so sure that they're in like 100 committed to uh seeing this thing through yeah absolutely yeah i mean just it's just got to keep an eye on it you know um that's all. I mean, we talked to some people uh, off the record before the investor day. One one person had interviewed at Lemonade previously and mentioned that, you know, a similar concern when they interviewed with Lemonade, I guess. And so there's just little things to track and try to keep. That was a, like years ago when they interviewed with Lemonade. So, you know, it doesn't mean that Lemonade is not going to succeed. No one, no company's perfect, but you want to try to find the, yeah. the potential holes in the company, put a magnifying glass on it and make sure it's not a bigger hole, you know? And so maybe it's nothing, maybe it's just, you know, hearsay or rumors or, or maybe we're reading too much into situations, but we certainly want to be paranoid about our bullish investments, right? I mean, that's, that's, it's better to be paranoid about Tesla demand than to just think it's always going to be amazing, you know? So anyway. Yeah, that's exactly right. Next question from Evan Glansman. What type of margins do you think Tesla can achieve in 2023 with the IRA kicking in FSD recognition and factories scaling? Oh, I mean, those are like perfect <laughs> bullish uh, points right there. I mean, I don't know. Rose colored glasses, Matt, what do you think? I mean, <laughs> now we're talking well, to the echo chamber and uh, we're going to just put the rose colored glasses on and say, I mean, this is realistic but we're just gonna say what do you think man rose colored glasses and, and this is not my my 50 base case but i think rose colored okay. glasses you know like uh gross margins of 35 percent plus and you know operating margins of 
you know, 20% or more, I think are possible. That I, I would not bank on those, but um, it would not surprise me if, you know, they just, you know, kind of continue to incrementally improve and, you know, efficient or um, uh, like scale efficiencies continue to, to be realized and FSD take rate goes up a little bit, plus it's recognizable. And like all those little things add up to, you know, just like kind of crazy margins. Um, but I'm not, I'm not banking on that, but I don't know. What, what do you think if you had to put on your rose colored glasses? Yeah. My rose colored glasses are a lot rosier than yours. Uh, I think they're, I think that the margins could be like 50% um, with those things. Uh, you know, because I think the take rate could hit an inflection point where, you know, rose colored glasses by the end of Q4, by the end of 2023, the take rate could be 50% plus, you know? Um, and so if that's happening, you know, I'm not, I didn't put pen to paper, but I think the margins, you know, we, on average 50% plus in the U S that's uh, an extra $7,500 per car is $15,000. Maybe they even increased the price of 20,000, let's say. So that's an extra $10,000 of pure profit margins per car sold in the U S if it's 50% take rate, you know? So I think that, um, and then you get the manufacturing improvements, Austin ramping up, you know, I could see like, much higher margins with the rose color, color glasses. I put that like 20% chance, you know, uh, but I think it's re it's realistically possible. Not likely, but possible. I could see that in 2024. I, I'd be skeptical that it happens as soon as, you know, Q4 yeah. of next year. But uh, I don't know. It, it's it's possible. I have to admit that that's possible. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do uh, one more question. It's been about an hour. We try not to go over an hour much. So last question is from Martin Muldoon on the YouTube comments. Question, what percentage of FSD data can be leveraged by the semi? They make larger turns. They must start breaking sooner, et cetera. I think um, the actual data, some of it probably can be used for labeling, auto labeling maybe, but I think like you're right, the, the actual algorithms or the neural networks, you know, weightings of how to make the turns or what, how to react to certain labels will have to be very different. It'll be a, a you know, a different formula for, to calculate the decisions, but the data I think will help tremendously that they've gathered already. Um, so I, I think it'll be a fast curve. And I saw, uh, in the YouTube comments, the guy Rocky Rocky Tillman, who had mentioned, I think, in an earlier comment that he worked, he used to work as a truck driver, and he knows NHTSA well. He says, "Take your rose colored glasses off about driverless semis," which we talked about a lot early on. That I think it's possible, you know, in the future. But I'm talking ten years, eight to ten years in the future. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think the semi truck's going to be fully self-driving for a few years. If, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of issues with regulations, of course, like NHTSA, like the guy Rocky Tillman mentions. And, but I think if they get enough data that, you know, for the, for the regular cars, that's a stepping stone for the semis. It'll be the model Y's, the model three's, the model SX, you know, the cyber trucks, those will be have, those will be allowed for fully self-driving autonomous driving before the semi trucks, you know, I think, but once those are widely accepted. I think it opens the door for the semi truck soon after to, if they can show that they're just as safe to be done. What do you think, Matt, about this question? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a longer rollout, like kind of, kind of like you're suggesting. I mean, one thing that stuck out to me was I, th I think it was Ray for Tesla went to that um, uh, Tesla exhibit at the Peterson auto auto museum and uh said that there were actually two different sets of, of uh, forward facing cameras so there were i think it was like two cameras maybe it was three in the top and then three more down on the bottom plus some different ones on the side so just there you know the the frame rate is going to be different if, if they've got a different number of cameras and so I, I think it's a whole different kind of you know perception and like the planning for sure is going to be different the perception is going to be a little bit different i think just based on the fact that they've got you know different hardware sets so um, I think it's just reasonable to assume that with a, you know, different hardware set and frankly, with just way fewer semis out there than there are, you know, um, you know, sedans and crossovers yeah. on the road that Tesla has right now, that it's just going to take a longer time for, for the software on truck driving, which is a much more complicated, um, like driving skill set. Uh, I think it's going to take longer for that to kind of get up to speed to the average, you know, human truck driver.
Yeah, yeah. I see Rocky Tillman in the comments. You know, he's I'm sure he's got good reasons for why Nitsa moves slow. But I can imagine a world, you know, there's other factors at play here. And I can imagine a world where Tesla is becoming the biggest company in the world. And then let's say DeSantis gets in, wins the presidency for the next four or eight years, let's say. That's not, I'm, I don't know what the odds are, like 25, 50% or something that he wins. I don't know. But um, if he wins for the first term and then he gets another term, let's say, you know, he's heavily allied, it seems like with Elon already. He's, he's, I yeah. don't know if you saw the clip about him, you know, pushing, telling Apple, that's how outrageous it would be that Apple would ever ban Twitter. You know, he seems like he's heavily allied with Elon in a lot of ways. Elon's pushed for DeSantis already um, as his mm -hmm. vote. And so I can see a, an administration in power that's saying, you know, even though Nitsa might move slowly and do things a certain way, you know, maybe not as aggressive as Donald Trump would move things, but an aggressive move by the administration in power saying, Nitsa, make this happen. This saves lives. Let's, yeah. let's appoint a new head of Nitsa to make sure we can allow driverless cars quicker, you know? So yeah. I could see uh, a, a, ch a positive change, a white swan event, if you will, in terms of politics, if the right people were elected for Elon and his companies. So yeah. that's kind of an exciting thing to think about. Um and then one other thing is uh, exciting is I don't know if anyone's been following the World Cup, but uh, there's a big match starting in like 20 minutes, U.S. versus Iran. I mean, how crazy is that, right? I mean, that's what the Top Gun sequel is about, like these two these two countries that are like enemies. Now you have these two soccer teams of country, the pol <laughs> political uh, the people are so nice in Iran, and um, hopefully they think the people in the U.S. are nice, but the the people in charge of politics in Iran and, and the U.S. seem to hate each other, and so. Uh, it's an interesting matchup here, uh, Iran versus the U.S. And I think the U.S., they, they win, they're in the next round. If they lose, they're not or something. So I'm going to watch that right, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, and, and that's been part of the reason for the Japan, the Chinese, <laughs> the, 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 the China protests is they saw all the uh, the people without masks on. I've seen that cited in some of the protest videos I watched that people are like, even in the World Cup, people don't wear masks. What are we doing here in China, you know? And yeah, so, that is kind of crazy. Like, like even in an entirely closed society where like everybody around you is wearing masks, then all of a sudden, like the the you can't just like not show the crowd in a soccer match. Yeah. So like <laughs> if it, if it's just incredibly yeah. apparent that even in Qatar of all places that like you know masks are not you know worn by yeah. like ninety percent of the people, then like I could see that like prompting some sort of like yeah. you know social unrest. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I haven't watched much of soccer. Against... I've watched some of the highlights, but uh... yeah, it gives us the whole world something to kind of, you know, calibrate on and center ourselves around a little bit. And, you know, anyway, um, and, and it's terrible that women are not even allowed in the state, you know, the women are being totally, uh, it's terrible what happens, you know, the, the rights women have in Iran. So I think this type of stuff helps bring light to that as well. Um, and those protests in Iran should not be, uh, you know, undervalued i think um yeah there's a lot of human rights you know there's some something the world everyone's got different ethics around the world i guess but there's a few things i think universal that i think everyone should agree on you know and, yeah. and women's rights is one of them so anyway uh yeah farzad's enough. done a good job of uh kind of raising awareness about this and he's persian so he's got a i think a really strong background to kind of bring some some awareness to this but uh hmm. yeah it's okay. been a a lot of stuff going on in the world, man. Yeah. <laughs> you got Russia. Like, remember, like, Russia and Ukraine was, like, the big, like, shocking thing. It seems like every month now there's, like, another, like, just crazy, shocking macro, yeah. you know, geopolitical development. Yeah. I think the media is getting better and better at worrying us, you know. They're getting better and better at attracting emotional stress when we see the headlines to click on yeah. it, you know. So, yeah. that seems to be happening. Hopefully, we we realize it collectively and, and don't turn into some mass panic society suddenly so yeah definitely all right guys all right. we'll see you next week and uh it was good chatting and this is recorded on twitter spaces and youtube our youtube channel so it'll it'll show up right away once we close things down here thanks guys see you next week same time thanks, same everyone. place all right